we're back. Welcome to Deep Thinking, the only motorcycle road racing podcast where the number of neutrons and the number of po- protons are not equal. He's Ed Sorbo. <laughs> Good thing. <laughs> He's Ed Sorbo from Lindemann Engineering, uh, the suspension tuning guru of the West, East, and all the other coasts combined. You can find him on the web at Lindemann Engineering or le-suspension.com. I am well said. Mike, yeah, not bad. <laughs> not bad at all there, huh? I'm Michael Gugis. You can find me on the, re- on the web at MotorbikeRoadRacing.com. That's MotorbikeRoadRacing.com. Um, number 83. Number A, number 83, you're right. The next one, um, next post, The next one will be 84. Next, uh, no, don't make me come over there, and you're only two feet away. You can't there, reach. There's a wrench. There's you're the, not fast enough. Oh, God, enough. do I love that the guy. The only time you're ever close enough is when I'm lapping you. Do I love that Geico commercial with the alligator who's reaching for the check? Can't quite get it. Haven't seen that. One. <laughs> it's freaking awesome. Um, God, what was I going to say? It was something pithy and important. Um, uh, so let's see. Suspension. Me. Oh, I know what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about what a genius I am. Ed, have you? Um, can you I, say run this topic into the ground? Oh God. Well, you know what, Ed? It's just that my genius has so many facets. It's like a diamond. It's like a it's diamond. Like an onion. It's smelling. <laughs> I what hey, the other day coming home from your place, uh-huh. um, I got uh, got caught on the highway behind a garlic truck, double tractor trailer filled yeah. with garlic cloves. With all the oh, little white pieces. That was wonderful off. though. It was like <laughs> no, oh, you know, man, this you smells good. You don't have to at all about vampires. Yeah, right. It's also also yeah. the vampire front. Right. No, I was just going to talk about you know, there's been a lot of discussion in MotoGP lately about the progress that Suzuki has made, the progress that Aprilia has made. And you know what's really interesting, one of the things that um, the guy from um, Yamaha's World Superbike team said, he's like, we're not looking at our finishing positions. Those are kind of irrelevant. He says what we're looking for is the time gap to the leader at the end of the race. That gives us a measure of how much we need to improve. You You and I both, have taken home podiums uh, on races where we couldn't see the leader, you know, because they were that far they were that far ahead of us, right? I like to believe that more commonly in my case where I couldn't see second place, but yeah. I take your point. Yeah, right. Um, or and, and <laughs> well, we, yeah, that that's a more realistic measurement. I mean, more, granted, right. Both the target and yourself are moving, Absolutely. right? And that your team's always getting better or worse or whatever. But right. But it's, it's, it's if your goal is winning, that, that's what matters. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Rossi, after the first round this year, said that it's better to finish fourth two seconds from the winner right. or tenths from the winner than it is to finish second yeah. ten seconds behind the guy. Yeah, and that and was... Actually, it's better to finish second and get the points and the right, money. And then the money. And then the podium. But right. as far as overall strategy, uh, he's right. It's There's better the, to be closer. And the uh, the thing, yeah, while Suzuki looks good uh, this year, while Aprilia looks like, oh boy, they scored points, when you look at the gap to the leader, you know, at the end of the race, you're talking Well, the other thing about that measurement, though, and, and I agree, but this year, that's also skewed because everybody's working the new software right. and the new tires. The other problem that Suzuki has is they've got a, a random rider. They've got Maverick Vinales is hot and cold hot and he's inconsistent. Yes. Or he has he can't get a decent start or whatever. Yep. And at that level of racing, if you give Lorenzo four seconds on the first lap, you're not gonna you ain't getting it back. Yeah, you're not, it's not, <laughs> you're not, right? Right? It's not like you can just 
think thoughts at your competitor up there right. who's just out of your draft and wait for him to make a mistake and then be in the battle. Oh, Lorenzo doesn't do that. Exactly. <laughs> they don't make mistakes, you know? You know? And, and every time you think, you're looking at Marquez following him thinking, oh, he's made a mistake. No, that's his lie. That's just what he yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's hysterical. Anyway, I just, you know, I'm going to, uh, the next, uh, the next uh, post on the blog, is, or the, the website, is going to be looking at the actual time gaps because I don't know if Suzuki is any better a decade later than they were when Hopkins and Vermeulen rode for You know, that's such a different... You know, I don't know that that scale matters. That's like comparing a baseball star from 50 years ago to a right? I'm it's not, not the same. Well, it, but it, there is something there, and I think it has to do with the level of commitment from the factory. And this is this leads to another discussion I, I wanted well, to Well, clearly, right, Honda and Yamaha are more committed than everybody else. Suzuki, Ducati seems pretty committed. They're still fighting something, something to get... Right? right? I mean, the amount of time that they've been trying as hard as they can right? has been long enough, right, to... Yeah, and and you, but they may have solved that problem. The only the problem the only problem that they had may have been <laughs> Rider, right? Yeah. They didn't have an alien, right? And now they're going to have an alien, yeah. and so, so we'll see what that we'll, does. Absolutely, right? we'll see what happens. We'll see if they've solved it or not. But it, but again, very interesting. The, uh, last year, everybody was talking about how it was a matter of um, when, not if, Ducati was going to win a race. Only the author of MotorbikeRoadRacing.com wrote a post called The Sound of One Door Slamming or something like that. One hand clapping. Yeah. No. One door slamming is the sound of a door slamming. I like mixed metaphors. I like like saying things like, you buttered your bread, now you've got to lay in it. Your mixed metaphor, my statement that has no meaning. Yeah, same thing, okay. right? Um, but it talked about whether or not we, that, that opportunity for Ducati had passed. And you look at the two tracks we no, just went to. No, it didn't pass. If they keep racing, they keep trying. Well, they, but, yeah. <laughs> but look at the two tracks we just went to, Mugello and Catalonia. Those were the places that likely they were going to have the best shot this year, and that, that's gone. But I digress. It's, it's interesting to look at the level of commitment, how bad they want to do it, how much they're bringing to the table. You know, we'll see. Suzuki did not try to hire Jorge Lorenzo. Ducati did. I'm going to give Ducati mad props for that. You know? Yeah, I, I think they've shown that they're committed to it. Uh, I think that Suzuki is probably still kind of in a we're still developing mindset. Right. And they want to get it. But, and, and that's, you know, when you are still developing, you right? do need that mindset. But at the same time, you know, the longer you, it, until you say, hey, we're here to kick everybody's ass, right. well, then you're never going to win. Ass, you're never, right? you're so, not going to get a sniff at yeah, it. It's, the, uh, um, it's complicated su- subject, and, and that's it, what makes it so interesting. And I'll, I'll, I'll one, one more thing on this topic. and it's it, Only to, one more thing, prob- he says. Probably. <laughs> well, you know, define one. Um, the <laughs> Ed. <laughs> no, Ed, that's first and only, but that's not one. <laughs> the, um, somebody, uh, I, Somebody was talking about why Honda and did not take the opportunity last year to work with the open software on some of the open class bikes because they knew that right, this right, was right. the software that was coming. Yeah, you know, um, the Drive Aspar team that Nikki rode for got like no help, and I personally expected Honda to be all over that bike in the second half of the season. You again, you got to remember why they go racing, Honda. Goes racing to, in part, in large part, to develop their of uh, the rest of their range. They're looking at their own highly sophisticated electronic suite, and they're like, we're going to learn more 
using this than the piece of crap system we're going to have to use next year. So they stayed focused on that good system till the end of the year. And then they showed up this year going, okay, what do we do? Whereas Yamaha's focus was all about winning, so they kind of split, you know, split their, uh, their attention in both places. I think that's what happened. And the reason this relates to Suzuki is that Suzuki has been trying as hard as it can on all fronts. And they're this- All fronts. All fronts. Chassis, engine. Okay, uh, right. Seamless, uh, seamless shifting, okay. um, electronics. They're trying to do it all. Whereas, you know, Honda literally walked it, that bike was awful at the beginning of this year. You know, and they kind of said, yeah, we'll catch up. <laughs> and it seems like they're doing a little bit better. Ed, let's talk about that spring. We're over here, we're still at Douglas Motorcycles. We've been here for a week in the service bay. <laughs> they're getting tired of it. Police are pounding on the door. And I they... have some props for doing a right. suspension seminar. And I got this really cool spring <laughs> that, and I just use it to demonstrate that we can make a spring. It's just a piece of wire. Right. You can make it any shape, anything you want. Right. And so I have a linear spring to show, and I have this spring that's a fork spring that is progressively wound, so I can demonstrate that. And then it's tapered, which is common. Uh, many springs taper down to, on one end. Really? Now, I, see, I've yeah. never and seen a tapered spring. This one freaked spring. out Michael that's because what, he's never seen a tapered spring, like and it's tapered, tapered on, on both, both ends. ends right? right? So one of the things about a long fork spring is that when you compress it, it wiggles side to side which means it bounces into the inside of the fork tube. Right. And it makes noise. People okay. don't like that, right? It yeah. scrapes against the wall, and sometimes it can make a thunking noise as it hits. You'll only ever hear this stuff because when you're it, Because going, a spring is trying to expand sideways yeah, rather tries than to, simply to compress straight up Right, if you've got a short, really stiff wire spring like you do in a shock, right. right? The wire's as big as your finger. Right. And it's gonna really hold its shape when you press down on it. It gets a little bit bigger, the outside diameter increases, right. but it compresses vertically. Right. When you get a long, weak fork spring, and you try to start pushing down on the two ends of it, it bows out in the middle. Yeah, exactly. really easily. And you can do this. At, you can do this in your shop. Yeah. Go grab a shock. Go grab a shock spring. Yeah, you and can't. try to bend it. No, you, you can't. can't. You grab a fork spring, and you could totally. And the main reason yeah. is that a shock spring, on average, is 500 to 1,000 pound rate for it, right? And much and shorter. Yeah, and very short. And a fork spring is long, and the rate is, uh, you know, 34 pounds ish right. per inch would be the average. And so you can you can manipulate the thing. And so when you go over a bump, the middle of your spring bows forward or back or to the side and goes dunk. And if you have a damper rod fork, uh, then it's usually half the spring is in the oil, right. and you don't hear it because the oil is there it's and it dampens around. Right, but right. if you have a cartridge fork, most of the spring is above the oil. And especially if you have an aftermarket setup, that's one of the things that is a nice feature about an aftermarket cartridge kit, right. is that the spring's above the oil completely, so changing the spring means you're not changing yeah, the oil. Yeah, you don't have to change right? oil all over the place. And so that noise is there. And so what they do is they taper one end down okay. to make it, and then they have like a collared piece that has a shoulder right. that goes in there, and it's holding that part so it can't move against the the fork and make the noise. Got it. And this fork, this spring, for whatever reason, they tapered both ends. Wow. Um, probably because they had a cartridge piece that was this size, and it was easier to tell the spring maker just taper both ends than to make a different right. thing to hold the spring. Good, good, good. Uh, Another way that the way Olin's does it is that they pay attention. Most springs, you the dimension of the spring would be the outside right. diameter, right, and the length. Got it. And so you might have two outside diameters for a tapered spring. Okay. Olin's does the inside diameter and the length because they have a plastic tube on the damper rod, right? on the cartridge rod rather, 
that is then just a little bit smaller than the inside diameter spring. And now the spring can't move because it's going to rub against this rubber piece that doesn't make any noise. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So you can, and it's a spring is just a long piece of wire. Right. That's coiled into a, a rolled into a coil. It's it's good manufacturing is to use the same part in as many different applications as you possibly. I don't know if I would say it's good manufacturing, but it's great inventory. Control. Well, yeah, that's well, what which is and, yeah. and from a profit from a profitability right. point of view. Yeah, if you can yeah. have one spring and a multitude of different plastic spacers, yeah, that costs a lot less yeah, and I mean, weighs well, less, right. Than a having of, a whole bunch of different springs. Different springs, absolutely. Yeah, yeah spring. And, I have fifteen thousand dollars worth of shock springs mm -hmm. just at Lindemann Engineering in stock all the time. Okay. And then that's not counting my fork spring. And shock springs like the most common is six inches long. Okay. And then there's sevens and eights. But and, and right and that's it. Inside diameter is two and a quarter. But a fork spring, Jesus Christ, there's right? so many different sizes. Uh, it's horrible. Right. So trying to so if you can narrow that down, if you can use this one spring for three or four bikes it really helps. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, the other thing I want to talk about, let me see, hang on, let me see how we're doing on time. Because uh, Ed misread it last time. Uh, which worked 13. to our which, advantage. Which works, William, sometimes it works to our advantage. Yeah. The other thing I was going to talk about was engine braking. And um, a lot of modern uh, bikes with good electronics um, now allow you to adjust your engine braking settings. Oh yeah. yeah. Now, uh, the reason that was uh, this came to mind was if you um, if you watch an up racing, which Ed clearly doesn't, we established that last uh, last one. <laughs> we're going to talk about that a little more later on. If you watch World Superbike last time, um, Jonathan Jonathan Ray, Kawasaki uh, Racing Team World yep. Superbike, had was getting false neutrals. Now, how that happens at that level, I don't know. Well, the but, normal cause of false neutrals is where on the shift dogs, the, the little arms yeah. that engage right. between the gears and you, you shift and it has a rounded off edge and so it doesn't go all the way, all in, way in and it skips out. Right. You know, now that, which can happen. I mean, shit can go wrong. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I read something about a different uh, electronic shift. Well, yeah, right. If you, you know, have the cutout time too short. Right. So that's the equivalent. The cutout time on the ignition is the equivalent of when you back off on the throttle Blipping. and get back. Uh, to, yeah. No, not blipping's downshift. Okay. When you, when you shifting normal on a normal street bike, you roll out of the throttle, you shift, you roll back on when right. you, as you squeeze in the clutch. Right? right. When you're racing, you skip the squeezing in the clutch. Right. So that electronic cutout for right. your shifter, right, means you don't have to move your wrist. Right. It turns off the sparks. Okay. So if you don't back off on the throttle enough, that's the same as your cutout time is too short. Got it. So then the thing can't complete the shift before the power comes back on and it jumps out of gear. Yes. So that's a simple one. If you, and a lot of people have this. Right. If you have a power commander. And it has a shifter, right. and you set the time wrong, and it won't shift. So you make the time bigger, and then it shifts. If you make the time too big, it goes, boo, boo, and right. all the time's too long, right? Right. That's you know that that's uh, not what I was looking for, but that's a, that's an incredibly useful thing because lots of lots of bikes come with the quick shifter and the cutout on it, yep. and you can adjust the time on. Well, it. and there's a million parameters. There's most bikes have linkage for the shifter. Right. 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 Okay, so you got two short little vertical arms with a rod between them. Right. If those rods are on the same plane, if they're both sticking up straight vertical, right, they work perfect. Yes. If they're both sticking down, they work. They're both 45. But if one's a different angle than the other, right. the ratio that the lever that your toe is moving right. to the distance that the shifter arm into the engine is moving 
changes uh -huh. as you go through the shift, right. which is what causes inconsistent shifting. So you can have a mechanical problem with your linkage, mm -hmm. you can have wear problems in the transmission, you can have clutch wear and adjustment problems, you can have cutter out time and right. electronic things, right? The, There's a million the more ways to get cool this wrong. shit you add to your motorcycle, the yep. more ways it can the go wrong. The more ways it can go wrong. <laughs> There's, a lot. There's a lot to be said for reading the instructions and starting with the settings that they give you. Well, and there's a lot to be said. You were just you were talking about uh, braking, engine braking. Yeah, right. And that's where just yeah. like with suspension, you can change those parameters. Right. But how many people go out to a track day and put it at minimum and ride the bike? Right. And then put it at maximum and ride the bike and right. see what it does. Oh, they go, oh no, the book says to do it here. I'll just leave it like that. Or like uh, you said, or like you said, even on your favorite bit of road, you know, anywhere. Yeah. Yes. You just need consistent consistent experimentation. Yeah, the, the purpose of those adjusters, whether they're on your suspension or the different size sprocket or in the software, you're, is to use them. Right. If exactly. you're only using them to make you look cool, to, to make you have apparently a bigger dick, right. you're not getting the full money, value for your money. And the, and the frustrating thing, people get the feeling that because it's adjustable, they have to adjust it all the time. Or worse, they, get the, they are afraid to try. Right. Well, the thing, the thing that just... I see is like guys at track days who are spending the whole day long fiddling with preload. Hey, look, same day, same, you know, once you've got it in, once you've got it where yeah, you want it. It's not a moving target thing. Yeah. There, you know, that's There should I mean. be a setting that has, uh, that you're, you're done with, at least for the day. You so, know? Um, but, but on the other hand, I would still say I would rather see people playing with stuff than not playing with it at all. For sure, you can play with it too much, but the bigger problem is that people don't even yeah, try. Exactly How many times I tell, I ask people, what settings do you have? Oh, I don't know. It's however it came. Well, You've had this bike six years right. and you didn't even try. Come however, on. However, it came is not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> however, somebody to start with, somebody who's got some experience who has a reasonable basis of knowledge. I don't care you. if you have experience or reasonable basis that's, of knowledge. No, that's I a place say to start. No, no, no. The place to start is to try the adjustment and see what it does. But where do you start from? Wherever it came out of the box. No, no you don't do that. I really, why not? Because some of the stuff is built for people who are like, you know, I ate more than they weigh for lunch. Some of the stuff is completely out of the ballpark. Well, I mean, it, I know? think it's a safe presumption that when you purchase your motorcycle, it's going to have some springs that are not made for a 400-pound guy. Right. Right. And when you buy your shock, you're going to tell them how much you weigh. That, that's different. That's different. I'm going to get your point then. My right. point is I bought, I, I bought a shock for the Hawk through you okay. uh, from Penske. Yes. Okay? We told them my weight. Yep. We told them the motorcycle. Told them the type of riding we were going to do. Now, that's where I'm going to start from what, what you and they recommended. Yes, absolutely. But my I'm saying is... Play with the adjusters. After you can done, always yeah. put it back to where after, it was. After you get it started. And by the way, check this out. Yeah, yeah. The damping in your suspension yeah. is controlling the spring. Yes. It has nothing to do with how fast or slow you go. Well, by controlling the spring, it does. Yes, but the spring is chosen based on the weight of the bike and the motorcycle. Right. The thing about the guy made the suspension for me for my speed is bullshit. If it wasn't true, you would not. Lorenzo would not be able to ride his bike on the warm-up and the cool-down lap because he's so bloody fast that he would need special magic, super strong valving for his crazy speed, which would then not work when you're going slow. The damping is controlling the spring. The right. spring is the energy storage device. It's holding up the weight of the motorcycle. However fast or slow you go, 
that is taken up by the amount of travel you use. Got it. So we and we select. So the when Penske rate. chose your spring rate, right. they chose it correctly right. based on your weight and the amount of preload they want that spring right. to have yeah. on it. So then they changed the rate until they got the sag they wanted. Right. Then they chose their shim stacks based right. on the strength of that spring. Your speed, fast or slow, has no bearing. Are you going to tell me that if I told them I was never going to ride the bike more than ten miles an hour, they'd still give me the same spring? Yes, and the same valley. I have find that difficult to believe. That's because you've been lied to for your entire career by guys who want to sell you a shim stack now when you're slow, and then another shim stack later on, and finally your racing shim stack, and they get your money three times. I can guarantee you they were they had no idea who they were dealing with if they were trying to get my money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am Melba's child. Well, think, okay. Think about my example. What? Lorenzo's bike is right. set up to work when he goes crazy, crazy fast. Right. If it were true that you had to have that damping to control that speed, then you would not be able to ride the bike oh, I think on the cooler. Nah, I think if people would ride it, it just wouldn't be much fun. No. It. Well, do you see Lorenzo's bike doing something bad when he goes slow? No, but no. it doesn't. No, but it doesn't look. What it does good. differently is it uses less, less travel. travel. Right. Therefore, there's less energy in the spring when it's compressed more or less, and there's less work being the damping is working over the distance of the travel. The spring is changing the force it pushes back with to right. equal the force you push onto it. Right. Just like the earth is pushing up with a force equal to your weight right, right, right. now. So, hold on. So, if I were going to... Don't, don't, don't feel bad. You this are not fine. the only guy who is going, you that's are, fucking crazy, man. Going, well, I'm the only person explaining this. So, you're going to tell me that if I'm going to ride that Rocket 3 sitting over there yes. at 10 miles an hour, mm -hmm. okay, you're going to spring it the exact same way as though I were going to do a land speed record assault mm -hmm. over incredibly bumpy pavement. Absolutely. The weight of the bike doesn't change. No, the weight of the bike doesn't change, but I'm going to use up way less of the travel going 10 miles an hour, right? And you're going to use more travel going slow than going fast because when you're going fast, the forks and the shock are extending and the bike is getting taller and it stays up there. Now when I hit a bump. When you hit the bump, you're going to be higher in the travel when you're going faster where the suspension is capable of moving faster and it's going to move only the distance of the bump. The bump is one inch tall, right. the suspension moves one inch. You run over the bump at 10 miles an hour, the bump is one inch tall, the suspension moves one inch, but it's going to move slower because you're farther down in the travel, so the bump will feel bigger. Right. This is why bumps feel smaller when you're going faster. We're going to have, we're going to, have, to, we're going to, have to talk about this. So here's the simple ex bikes. here's the ex example. You find a bump, you ride yes. over the bump while like, gently accelerating. Right. You do two U-turns, so now you go over the bump in the same direction right. while coasting. And you will notice that the bump feels bigger when you're coasting. It feels, yeah. Because the suspension is compressed. Right. When you're riding at 100 miles an hour yes. or at 10 miles an hour, yes. you weigh the same. Yes. So does the motorcycle. The spring rate is holding up the weight of the motorcycle, and that's all. I think we're missing a kinetic energy function but here. You, okay, yes, you are. However, that only applies if you run into a wall. The oh, motorcycle dear. is not stopping instantly. Okay. We're way over time. Yes, we um, are. But this is but an important concept. It is. And I think we'll explore it more fully in future podcasts. We got a two-minute board, and I didn't finish the story about the fireballs. <laughs> These are great. Okay. Now, the the one in at uh, at Suzuka, as a matter of fact, 
was your fairly traditional Yamaha R6 fireball. It was a good one, don't get me wrong, and it was great because the uh, leak out of the gas tank was relatively slow, so there was four marshals. They kept hitting it with fire extinguishers. It would go out, then it would come back. Well, because it didn't put it all the way out. And the, Man, the you're gonna, fuel kept coming if, out. If you're, yeah, but if the fuel comes out and there's no spark, it doesn't it, make it a hitting, fire. No, it's hitting hot, something hot. Ah, you okay. know, something that's hot doesn't necessarily make it catch doesn't a fire. doesn't necessarily. Here's, here's a thing to know for life that's useful. If you're going to fight a fire, yes. fight it seriously, 100%. Oh, kill you that bitch dead. You can't Use the whole fire extinguisher. If you ever get a chance, okay. yes. Don't right. be all pussy about We've it. We've talked about this. <laughs> Go to motorbikeroadracing.smugmug.com. Look at my photos from Las Vegas. Um, where the where, uh, what's his name Brian Short's bike caught on fire and that somebody is sitting there with a single fire extinguisher with this little drip yeah. out of the and, and and approach the fire from the upwind side yes and aim for the base okay so the other one the other one though was awesome yeah like a bike a gas tank comes off a bike yeah. and another bike hits the gas that tank was, and it just goes full that on that was awesome Hollywood movie that was Ooh. yeah yeah really really scary that was really scary fortunately that the fireball went away instantly and and nobody was in it very happy to see that nobody was hurt seriously but this it was is why it's so important that people practice proper techniques raise your hand right. when you see the the red the flag right away whatever so that it's muscle memory that right. you warn the guy behind you use your engine cutoff switch to turn your bike off every time you want to turn your bike off so your thumb knows where that switch is right so that when you need it you don't have to like try to remember how to find it because a millisecond might matter yep you absolutely know? And, and in that case it did and the other thing to remember in those situations when you're the following rider look to the escape route. Yes. Do not look at your friend on the ground who right. you're trying to avoid. You will you run his them. ass over Target by fixation. looking at him. Target you need to fixation. look where you want to go. One more shout out to the Spanish uh, Spanish road racing. You should have seen the marshals clean the track. You're concerned about, because those bikes are GP bikes, there's carbon fiber on them. You want to get all the carbon fiber shards off the track because that looked like a bomb went off there, yep. right? They formed a line yep, across a the line. track with Blowers, right? With yeah. air blowers, yeah, like know? a fod walk. Yeah, or you was, can do that with brooms. You can do that with blowers. Was, yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely first rate, and you wonder why they make such good road racers. They take the sport seriously. You know, in anything, right? When yep. you when you match that, make that magic place of uh, critical mass of doing it right. There you go. There's one way to do it right, and and. Yep. Well, there's lots of ways to, but there are certain things you will see. Yes. Like like and, and like this. And it's one it's of those good. things that tells you they're doing it right. Yeah. They're putting they're putting the effort into it. So it's really hard to criticize. And you know what? It it's also part. It's fun to be part of a group of people who are doing something correctly yeah, like that, right? Absolutely. Way better than being part of a group of guys who are tripping and falling over. I and I think I told you, know. you um, there was I did a. Uh, so good on those guys. Yeah. I did a, and gals. Re, or, uh, yeah, Anna Carrasco ran through the fireball. After she got done pooping her leathers, you know, she went back out for the restart. Well, you know what? If you're going to go through a fireball, go through fast. Yeah, right. <laughs> the, um, so if you can't see what's on the other side, so I it's did a scary. Racer, yeah. I did a racer profile real quick on a guy. So um, much for the time thing. Yeah. Well, you know what? Gujas is talking. There's well, no last stopping one, The last one was short. We got to give these people oh, their money's oh, worth. Oh, yeah. Their money's the, worth. Um, the, uh, oh, I, I'm sorry. I did a racer profile on a gentleman who um, raced, uh, and I don't know if I could name the, the club. They raced with. He's just tired of club oh, racing. God. Tired of listening to people, you know, drunk at two in the morning in the <laughs> paddock, you know, um, all that stuff. He's lapping. He said he lapped some guy twice in a in a six lap race, you know. That was one of the people. 
he went to AMA race, racing. And God knows AMA is not perfect, you know, or anything like that. But they say practice starts at 11.10. He pulls the tire warmers off at 11.09 and goes to the hot pit and practice is starting. Yeah. You know? I was just having that conversation with my friend Reno uh, about that, about why Reno this... Reno Caribbean? Yeah. He's why? your friend? Yes. <laughs> why did this guy who used to be fast back in the day, what's he doing riding in the B group at Moto America? Wants and, to be. And we were, we were, first we were like, yeah, I don't know what, and then I, th and then I point out, but you know what, right? Once you've raced pro, yeah. it's just like what you described. And yeah. sometimes you just don't want to go with right? the club bullshit and, okay, fine, I'm, I'm not going to win, but it's a fucking nicely organized track day yeah. and I'm having a good time. A good track, lots of safety people, lots of party. You don't have yep. to go out in front of your garage and yell at some eight-year-old or some drunken 18-year-old who's doing wheelies and burnouts yep. in front of your freaking garage, yep, you know? Exactly. Yeah. He's Michael Gugis. He's Ed Sorbo. Aloha. Aloha.